Greetings, this is podcast number 41 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. In the opening segment, we'll expose a critical lie from the right wing concerning what Americans think about taxes. Then I'll tell you about yet another new horror that's arisen in Iraq, targeted killings of gays. To close... A listener will enlighten us a little bit more about one of the ugliest episodes in Tom DeLay's sordid career, one that I discussed in an earlier podcast. Let's get right into it. In this segment, I'm going to discuss the disconnect between what the right claims are the beliefs of the American public about taxes and what the American public really believes. Not only the right, actually, but virtually every political pundit you see on the corporate-owned media will assert as the gospel truth that the American public opposes tax increases. Not so. The American public opposes tax increases on the working and middle class, but favors tax increases on the wealthy and taxes on the wealthy actually are being increased on the state level across the nation. My sources for this segment are msnbc.com, a published interview with NYU economics professor Edward Wolf, and a piece from tompain.com written by Gar Alperovitz, who's the Lionel R. Bauman Professor of Political Economy at the University of Maryland College Park. Regarding what the American public thinks about tax increases, an Ipsos poll last month found that, quote, almost 6 of 10 people, 58%, say the system is unjust, a number that is virtually unchanged from two decades ago. People think the middle class, the self-employed, and small businesses pay too much in taxes, the poll found. And they think those with high incomes and big businesses don't pay enough. Six in ten said high-income families were paying too little in taxes. Close quote. Sixty percent of Americans say the wealthy pay too little in taxes. A pretty substantial majority, huh? Well, it's much less of a majority than it used to be. 20 years ago, the number was about 80% of Americans said the wealthy pay too little in taxes. Why the decline? The right wing. About 20 years ago, 22 years to be exact, one of the most evil men ever to inhabit the presidency, Ronald Reagan, took office. Besides being a racist, for example, his policy supporting apartheid in South Africa, and a mass murdering war criminal, for example, the Contra terrorist army he created and unleashed upon Nicaragua, Reagan was dedicated to the right-wing core proposition that the rich should get richer 
and everyone else should get poorer. The psychological underpinning to effectuate that shift in the distribution of wealth was to inculcate into the general population the concept that greed is good. Twenty years of being propagandized with such an immoral concept took its toll on the psyche of the American public. One out of four Americans who used to think the wealthy didn't pay enough in taxes have apparently changed their minds. But it's heartening to note that despite the decades of right-wing greed-mongering, 60% of Americans still think the wealthy don't pay enough in taxes. Now, I can hear the right-wingers in the audience saying, Oh, that Jack Clark. He doesn't realize that because Reagan's policies and now Bush's policies spread affluence throughout the population, more people are wealthy. So naturally, only a smaller percentage of the population will resent the rich and think the rich don't pay enough taxes. As with all right-wing theorizing, that's dead wrong. According to Professor Wolf, 30 years ago, the U.S. had more equal wealth distribution than Great Britain and even than Sweden. But, unlike many countries which experience a lessening of wealth inequality over time, wealth inequality has increased, increased in the United States over the last 25 or 30 years. In other words, the rights policies of shifting wealth to the already too rich, started by Reagan, have borne fruit. Now the U.S. has the greatest wealth inequality of any industrialized country. So we have the right-wing induced paradox that, as wealth inequality has grown according to the right-wing plan, the percentage of Americans who want the wealthy to pay more in taxes has declined. But that percentage of Americans who want to increase taxes on the wealthy still is, thank goodness, a healthy 60%. And, I just find this fascinating, bubbling beneath the surface of the right-wing propaganda that greed is good and that the public wants no tax increases, is the reality that taxes on the wealthy are starting to be effectively increased all across the country. According to Professor Alperovitz, this is happening in two ways. First is actual new taxes. For example, New Jersey imposed a tax on those making more than half a million dollars a year and earmarked the proceeds to offset property taxes, the burden of which falls disproportionately on the middle and lower class. Californians overwhelmingly approved a referendum in 2004 increasing taxes on those making above a million dollars. The additional funds collected here will go to mental health programs. Connecticut passed a new estate tax and a temporary 20% income tax surcharge on corporations. 
Tennessee and New Hampshire have legislated additional taxes on interest and dividends, which mainly affect those with incomes above $100,000. And finally, even in red state Virginia, the state Senate levied special taxes on those making more than $100,000. While this measure didn't survive the Virginia House of Delegates, the momentum is clear. The second way taxes on the wealthy are effectively being increased across the country is through a process called decoupling. The way the tax system works, the taxes imposed by the states often are written to follow federal tax laws. Well, as federal taxes have been drastically decreased on the wealthy, some states are electing to decouple certain aspects of their state taxes from the federal system. For example, five years ago, Congress voted to reduce, indeed to phase out, the federal estate tax. Most Americans don't realize that only the richest 2% of the population ever pays any estate tax. The right wing has with its usual devilishly skillful wordplay, renamed the estate tax the death tax so as to increase support for its reduction and abolition. Nevertheless, in the last five years, quote, 18 states, including conservative Kansas and North Carolina and the District of Columbia, have either decoupled, elected not to follow, their tax regulations from the federal approach or enacted new estate tax legislation." Close quote. Another example, Congress passed a huge corporate giveaway, something called the Federal Production Activities Deduction. Again, 18 states and the District of Columbia have decoupled from that. Lastly, quote, 31 states have decoupled from a related corporate tax break, the appropriately named bonus depreciation changes of 2002 and 2003, close quote. As I said, momentum is on our side. 77%, nearly 8 in 10 Connecticut voters recently polled in favor of a tax on those making in excess of $1 million a year. Now here's the kicker. Even 63% of Republicans favored doing so. When you have 63% of Republicans wanting to more heavily tax the wealthy, there's definitely change in the air. Now if you bring up this subject to a right winger, don't let yourself be red baited as Bill O'Reilly would have his minions do. When you hear far-left Americans use the terms economic justice or income inequality, you should know these are code words for socialism. No, it's not about socialism, Bill. It's about fairness. As the 58% of Americans who think the tax system is not fair understand. Bill, you repeat ad nauseum that you're looking out for the folks. Seems to me you're looking out more for yourself, a multimillionaire. Your beloved folks 
would all benefit were people like you, Bill, to more fully carry your own weight in the tax system. The richest 10% of Americans own an obscenely large share of the nation's wealth. 70%. They don't need any more. In fact, it's perfectly reasonable for our society to say that they have too much, that there's not enough left for the rest of the people to get by. It's perfectly moral and reasonable. I'd say it's an imperative to reduce their 70% share of the wealth. Raising taxes on the wealthy is one way to accomplish that. So the next time a right-winger starts asserting with their usual extreme but of course unfounded conviction that Americans don't want any tax increases, you set them straight and tell them Americans want fairness and so fully 60% of them want to increase taxes on the wealthy to ensure that the wealthy have to pay their fair share in taxes just like everyone else. Stocking shirts in the Walmart store Just like the ones we made before Except this one came from Singapore I guess we can't make it here anymore Should I hate a people for the shade of their skin Or the shape of their eyes or the shape I'm in Should I hate them for having our jobs today No, I hate the men sent the jobs away I can see them all now, they haunt my dreams All lily white and squeaky clean They never known want, they never known need The don't stink and the kids won't bleed The kids won't bleed in the damn little war And we can't make it here anymore We all know how badly it's going in Iraq. In April, the U.S. lost 76 soldiers, the highest monthly casualty toll since last November. God only knows how many Iraqis were killed. Incipient or actual civil war is underway there, as are a wave of criminal kidnappings. Billions are unaccounted for in the inaptly named reconstruction effort. Just when you thought you'd seen it all, that no new horror could be added to the toxic, deadly stew we've brewed in Iraq, a new obscenity has reared its ugly head. A wave of beatings, kidnappings, and horrific assassinations of gays. How did this come about? Well, it's really just a far more deadly version of the demonization of the gay community that right-wingers engage in here in the United States. It springs from the same religious intolerance. According to an article by Jerome Taylor in the British newspaper The Independent, since the U.S. invasion of Iraq, there have been several religious rulings calling for the eradication of homosexuals. The eradication. Grand Ayatollah Ali al-Sistani is Iraq's foremost Shia leader. He issued a fatwa 
which called for killing gays in the, quote, worst, most severe way, close quote. Sick? You bet. What's been the result? Quote, Ali Hilly, the coordinator of a group of exiled Iraqi gay men who monitor homophobic attacks inside Iraq, said the fatwa had instigated a, quote, witch hunt of lesbian and gay Iraqis, including violent beatings, kidnappings, and assassinations, close quote. Who's been doing it? Quote, the powerful Badr militia acts as the military wing of the Supreme Council for Islamic Revolution in Iraq, which counts Ayatollah Sistani as its spiritual leader. A number of public homophobic murders by the Badr militia have terrified Iraq's gay community. Last September, Hader Fayek, a transsexual, was burnt to death by Badr militias in the main street of Baghdad's Al-Qarada district. In January, suspected militants shot another gay man in the back of the head. Close quote. Yet more freedom and democracy, Bushian style. To compound the problem, fundamentalists have infiltrated government security forces en masse and now use their police cover to commit homophobic murders. For example, Iraqi police shot and killed at point-blank range Ahmed Khalil, a 14-year-old boy who was doing nothing more at the time than sitting on his doorstep. Quote, Neighbors in the Aldura district say Ahmed's father was arrested and interrogated two days before his son's murder by police who demanded to know about Ahmed's sexual activities. It is believed Ahmed slept with men for money to support his poverty-stricken family, who have fled the area fearing further reprisals. Close quote. This situation calls for immediate worldwide condemnation. What are we, the United States, the real ruler of Iraq, doing about this? Nothing, of course. Quote, Mr. Hilly, whose group has close links with clandestine gay activists inside Iraq, said U.S. coalition forces are unwilling to try and tackle the rising tide of homophobic attacks. Quote, they just don't want to upset the Iraqi government by bringing up the taboo of homosexuality, even though homophobic murders have intensified. Close quote. The taboo of homosexuality is, of course, shared by the right-wing Christians that currently dominate the U.S. government. The Bushians have officially addressed the situation with their usual nonchalance and bald-faced lies. Quote, Darla Jordan from the U.S. State Department said, the U.S. government continues to work closely with our Iraqi partners to ensure the protection of human rights 
and the safety of all Iraqi citizens. Close quote. As I will never tire pointing out, the effect of right-wing actions is always to increase the amount of human misery, suffering, and death in the world. The anti-gay jihad inside Iraq that started since the U.S. invasion is just one more such manifestation. Let's be brutally honest here. In Saudi Arabia, the official government statutory penalty for homosexuality is death. Yet the Bush administration considers Saudi Arabia a great ally of the U.S. The Bush family itself is great pals with the Saudi royal family who preside over such barbarity. So with regard to these intensifying assaults upon the gay community in Iraq, I can't help but wonder if the right-wing Christian homophobes unofficially and secretly in their heart of hearts are just not that upset about the killing of gays in Iraq. After all, Death is the punishment prescribed in their Bible for homosexual conduct, isn't it? In my line of work, you got to keep repeating things over and over and over again to kind of catapult the propaganda. Catapult the propaganda. Charles Dolfer has now issued a comprehensive report that confirms the earlier conclusion of David Kay that Iraq did not have the weapons that our intelligence believed were there. Um, it turned out that and now a word from another progressive podcaster. This is the voice of the War on Poverty, an audio blog of issues, ideas, and practical solutions toward ending the paradox of poverty in a land of plenty. My name is Brian No. For nearly three decades, I've been on the front lines or in various leadership positions in the war on poverty. One of the reasons that poverty in this country has been so persistent for so long is that it's easy for so many people to just ignore. So our goals with this audio blog are to keep the issues of poverty in your line of sight and to provide resources for you to learn about the problem, to learn how it affects everyone in our society and how you can help. In the meantime, you can visit us on the web at waronpovertycast.org. Let's join together in a noble and historic effort. Together, we can make a difference. Here's a listener comment that was posted on the podcast blog. It adds a useful bit of information to my recent segment on some of the ugliest and least known episodes in Tom DeLay's sordid career. One of those episodes was DeLay single-handedly ensuring in the year 2000 that migrant workers on an overseas U.S. territory, the Northern Marianas, did not receive the protection of U.S. minimum wage and other labor protection laws. DeLay ensured this at the behest of his close friend, indicted lobbyist Jack Abramoff, whose client was the Northern Marianas. Listener Son LeBlanc wrote, referring to Saipan, 
one of the islands comprising the Northern Marianas, quote, I may have missed it, but I don't think you mentioned that the folks running things in Saipan were forcing women workers who get pregnant to, gasp, get abortions. That alone shows just what hypocritical a-holes these people are, close quote. No, Sean, you didn't miss it. I wasn't able to include this particular information in the podcast segment because of time constraints. Thanks for bringing it up. By saying Abramoff's clients were forcing women workers to get abortions, Sean is referring to the fact that Abramoff's clients forbid women to work when they became pregnant, so these impoverished immigrant women felt economically compelled to have abortions. Sean is absolutely correct, as reported by ABC News at the time. Quote, When I told them I was pregnant, they told me to have an abortion, said Tu Mai, a woman who lost her job after refusing an abortion. Close quote. Was her case an exception? To the contrary. Quote, With 11,000 Chinese workers here, I have never seen a Chinese garment factory worker have a baby, said human rights worker Eric Gregoire. Close quote. Helping those who force women to have abortions doesn't seem like something a self-proclaimed anti-abortion Christian like Tom DeLay should be doing, does it? But hey, when it's a choice between facilitating increased profits and saving the quote unborn, is it any surprise which course of action a right-winger like DeLay chooses? I think listener Sean mentioned the word hypocritical. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you liked what you heard and you think it deserves wider circulation, please tell a friend about Blast the Right. There's a one-click send this page to a friend link on the podcast homepage. A shout-out to all you Live 365 listeners, including those on Red Dragon 365. Why don't you come on over to the website and subscribe? It's free. You get automatic updates and can listen to whatever podcast you want, whenever you want. Also, keep those votes coming in for Blast the Right on PodcastAlley.com. You can vote with one click on a link from the podcast homepage. Music credits. We heard a bit of We Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry. Catapult the Propaganda by Nye's Music. Not the One Blues by Bernshee Thornside. And we'll close with a little bit of Howard Beale from the Classic Film Network combined with No Justice, No Peace by Wacky Avelli. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page linked to off the main podcast homepage. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use on Blast the Right can be found on my data resources page, also linked to off the main podcast homepage. I've been getting a lot of great email lately, so keep those comments coming in. My address is rational at adelphia.net. You can call in and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. 
Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also Skype me at Jack from Blast the Right. It's great to hear some people calling in and telling me how much they like the show. Those aren't the comments, though, that I'll probably play on the podcast because I don't think I want to take up time just having someone say how good the podcast is. Hopefully you already believe that because you're listening. The comments I tend to play are the substantive ones where you give some facts, some information, express a viewpoint, or give us your personal connection to one of the topics I've discussed. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. You've got to get mad! You've got to say, I'm a human being! God damn it! My life has value! So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We're mad as hell, and we ain't going to take it anymore. No justice, no peace. We're mad